Hello and welcome to the podcast of Vineyard Church here in Maryville, Tennessee. We post our Sunday messages here each week, as well as our conversations episodes, which include interviews, special announcements, and in-depth teaching. You can visit vineyardchurch.us to learn more about us or to access the audio archive. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And now, here's the episode. Welcome to the Vineyard. It's good to see you guys. You look good. You look good. Some of you dressed up. I did too. I did. This is, this is dressing up. Judgy people. I did my best. I did my best. <laughs> oh, goodness. It is good to see you guys. Uh, welcome to the Vineyard. If it's your first time, if it's your 100th time, I'm just so glad that you are here. We are celebrating today that Jesus is alive. It is the best news in the history of news. It is the best. So we are so glad that you are here. I'm going to jump right into the message here. I'm going to let's start with a silly story. Um, so <clears throat> I was on the back porch with my wife and we were having a back porch date, cleverly named. Um, a back porch date is when my wife and I go on the back porch and ignore the children, just no matter what happens. <laughs> They're great. And so we're on the back porch having one of those cheap dates, you know. And it's, I don't know how to tell you, it was like one of those perfect nights. Like everything was just perfect. The weather was perfect. There was a gentle breeze. There was a gorgeous sunset in the background. And my wife and I, were having a moment, you know. We're like, we're holding hands and we're leaning in and we're saying nice stuff. A lot of sustained eye contact, you know what I'm doing? Like, like if, if we weren't married, it would have been awkward, but we are. So it was like, it was great. We're staring into each other's soul, you know. It was one of those nights. And um, best of all, or not best of all, but a good thing, I was also wearing my bright blue hoodie. And here's the thing, that's a big deal because uh, my eyes are the color of whatever shirt I'm wearing that day. And Sharon finds blue-eyed Aaron most attractive. So... I was wearing my blue hoodie, you know what I'm saying? And uh, I paused, I took a dramatic pause, it was very serious. I said, Sharon, and I held it, you know, like for a second, she leaned in, what? Sharon, I believe in you. I really believe in, there's a quiver in my voice and everything, you know? And she's going, oh, and then she she did that, that face where it just melts, and she's like, I'll either cry or I'll kiss you. I know that I've figured out what that face is, you know? And she's, she's, she decides, fortunately, she's going for the kiss, which is great. I'm going to be too graphic here, but she starts to lean in. And uh, I don't mind. Look, I don't mind telling you guys this. We'll just keep it between us. But um, my wife finds me very attractive. So that's a, that's a true thing. In fact, I have a story about that, a true story. Okay, you're going to think I'm making this up. This is a true story. The story I've told you so far, I actually made all that up. None of that actually happened. But the, for the sermon... And I told you, but for this, true story. True story is a couple of weeks ago, we're sitting around the dinner table, sharing a couple kids, the kids, and um, we're, <laughs> I don't know what this says about us, but we're having a pretty lively conversation about how attractive Ryan Reynolds is. That's just what we were talking about for a while, okay? So <laughs> we just watched The Proposal, which is Sharon's favorite movie. I wonder why, okay? So... 
of course. She's a big fan, you know. And so we're, we just watched her. We're kind of talking about her. Like, it's a good-looking man. Anyway, in the middle of that very weird conversation, Sharon looks at me. She's completely serious, guys. Like, it's not a joke. She's not delivering a line. It's not a bit. She looks at me, and she goes, Aaron, I think you're more, this is ridiculous, I think you're more attractive than Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> no, that's, that's not the right response. You know what the right response is? The right response is what I and both of my children did. We pointed our finger at her and laughed. We threw our head back. And we're like, that is ridiculous. That is a ridiculous, insane thing to say. But it's wonderful. She's delusional. She has... She has love goggles on. She can't see straight. And it's wonderful. It's great. It's the best news for me because I only got to convince the one woman, you know. And she's got love goggles. And she thinks that's true. It's amazing. Anyway, back to the not true story. So we're there. We're on the back porch. Sunset. Gentle breeze. Sustained eye contact. Blue hoodie. Leaning in. I say, Sharon, I believe in you. And she can't hurt. She's taken over by the moment. She leans in. She's going for the kiss. Just as she turns her head, because you've got to have a big nose, you've got to work around it. She tilts her head. She, she can't see it. She's got the goggles, but it's true. And she leans in. And just as she's about to kiss me, I stop and I say, Sharon, also, I believe in aliens. <laughs> and she said, what? What do you, what do you mean? You also believe in aliens. I was like, what, what do you mean, what do I mean? I believe in aliens. What are you trying to say? I was like, well, I mean, it's a really, really big universe, right? I mean, there's like a billion, trillion galaxies and who knows how many planets. And I just think it's more logical to think that there are other forms of alien of, of life than, than, there, than that there aren't other forms of life. So I think I believe in aliens. And she goes, wait a minute. What, what did you mean when you said you believe in me? I thought... I thought you were saying that you trusted in me and you were confident in me and you put your hope in me and that you knew that you could count on me. But did you really just mean that you believe in my existence? Is that all you were saying? Now I'm in trouble, you know. Nah, it's okay because it's not a true story. But she goes, are you just saying you something more than I'm not a figment of your imagination? Really? So here's what I'm pointing out. It's the obvious. I think you can get it. There's more than one sense of the word belief. You say, I believe in something. There's a whole range of things that you might mean by that. I do believe in Sharon. She's great. I believe in her. And I'm, I could probably believe in aliens, too. I mean, why not? Who cares? Whatever. Sure. How about this one? I also believe in Jesus. I do. Do you see how it like really matters that I clarify what I mean by that when I say I believe in Jesus? The, the Christian message, it's wonderful. The message is that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for our sins, that he rose from the grave conquering death so that in turn he could offer us life. That's what we're celebrating. That's a really big deal. It's a big part of the story. We focus a lot on the cross. The resurrection is actually the pinnacle moment. Because he conquered death, he can offer us life. The Bible says we're, we're dead in our sins. And when Jesus resurrected, he conquered death itself. So picture it this way. Death is an evil that our Savior has held under his thumb. He has dominated. He has conquered death itself. 
that really matters because that means now he can offer you life. You, you get it? We'll put it this, let's say I, I, gave, I come to you and I say, good news, I'm going to give you a billion dollars. You shouldn't be encouraged by that at all. Because I don't have it to give. That you should just pray for me. I've snapped. That's what you should do. If I say I'm going to give you a billion dollars, I don't have it to give. When Jesus says, I'm giving you life, he has it to give. Because he has conquered death itself. It is held under his thumb. He has conquered death. And out of that, he can then offer us life. See, when Jesus rose from the grave, it wasn't like when Lazarus was resurrected. You guys, if you're a church kid, you may know the story. He was dead, and Jesus rose him, rose him from the grave, and he alive, and he starts walking around, and everybody's freaking out, if you know the story. Well, the difference is that after that, Lazarus died after that. He rose from the grave, and then he, and then he died. I don't know how long after that, but it's not like he's still walking around somewhere being like, the resurrection really sticks for me. Like, no, he went back and died after that. And, and it's interesting, this is not on my notes, it's Easter, here we go. Um, some scholars think that he may have died fairly soon after that. Um, and some, some hypothesize that maybe he was dead before the resurrection happened. And when Jesus died on the cross and he entered into death, all of death got rattled just by Christ's appearance on the scene and bodies started to raise from the grave. That's a weird part of the story that we usually talk about on Easter, but it's part of what happened when Jesus entered into death. The dead began to rise all around. That's the power of life that comes to Christ himself. And so it's possible that Lazarus died, was rose from the grave, died again, and then was rose from the grave again. And he could have been walking around like, guys, Leave it alone. Like, I'm, I'm, it's better for me here. Just why is this happening again? I can't. But even if that's the case, after that, he died. He died. Okay? He had to succumb to death. Jesus rose to life, never to die again. Never succumbing to death. Holding death in a chokehold under his thumb. He's saying, I've got death under control. You don't worry about that. Through me, you can come into life. He can offer us life. So anyway, out of that, we get this invitation. Here's the invitation. Surrender to Jesus as your Lord. Surrender to Jesus. Make him your king. And then you are rescued from the kingdom of evil, the kingdom of darkness. You are welcomed into the kingdom of God. Your sins are forgiven. You have eternal life. Um, Christians, we have so many terms for everything. I know it can be very confusing. We have a stack of terms that we use that refer to that. We, we call it salvation, or we call it redemption, or the gospel, or finding life with Jesus, or getting saved, becoming a Christian, etc., etc. Um, in Acts chapter 16, it says it like this, this is verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. That's great. Sounds simple. But what, what kind of belief are we talking about? What does it mean exactly to believe in Jesus? And see, what I think has happened over time, and stick with me, I think this has happened. I think more and more people, when they say, I believe in Jesus, they mean that in possibly the same sense that they may or may not believe in aliens or ghosts or Bigfoot, or whatever. 
They have chosen to believe that Jesus is, in fact, a thing. But is that what it means to believe in Jesus? Or we could even go way beyond that, actually. Not just anything. You can believe that, that he's a thing, that he was real. You, you can believe Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the Son of God, that he's the Savior of the world, that he died, that he resurrected. We'd say that's why we're saved. That's why we're Christians, because we're believers. We believe in Jesus. Some really important things went down a long time ago in Israel. It was a really big deal. I'm signed on for it. So we believe and we are saved. But here's the thing. Uh, this guy named James. James is the brother of Jesus. He had something to say about that, that approach to belief. And I'm going to warn you before I read it. It's really kind of mean. Like it's pretty, it's kind of snarky for the Bible. We're like, that's, but it's also profoundly logical. Okay. So here we go. This is James chapter 2, verse 19 says this, you say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Good for you. And he does mean it sarcastically. I know, because I read the rest of the verse. It says this, even the demons believe that, and they tremble in fear. That's kind of, that's a logical statement, actually. The demons, I assume, have at least as much confidence in the existence of Jesus as any of us do, probably more. They were there. They were there. They don't strain to believe that he is, in fact, the Messiah. That's, that's just a known fact. They, they saw what he did to their kingdom. They, they under, that just, it's just known. Demons, I think, are also quite certain of Jesus' power over demons. I think they're confident of that, and they live that firsthand, begging him for mercy. And the demons believe in the resurrection. Of course they do. It's like, why, why not? Why wouldn't they? They were there. It's not, like it's, a, it's not like it's a debate in like demonic academia, you know? A bunch of stuffy demons smoking their pipes and wondering whether or not there was a literal physical resurrection. Like, that's not what happens they know they were there. They felt the impact of it. They know it's real. I think that's significant. Now, you might say, no, Aaron, I don't think it is. So what? I don't even believe in demons. Why are we talking about demons on Easter? Fair enough. That is a tough one. It's a tough one. But if you say you don't believe in demons, here's the thing. Do you not believe in demons in the same sense that you do believe in Jesus? Because that's what we're trying to drive at. And that's the distinction we're trying to make. Belief in Jesus, stay with me, it certainly includes an acceptance that he's real. You know, he's a thing. And it includes an acceptance that he is who he says he is, that he's the Messiah, that he's the Savior, that he's the Son of God, that he died and rose from the grave. And that's a lot to believe. But it's more than that. It is. It's more than signing up for a list of facts or doctrines that you can make a mental assent to. So far, if I believe like that, that list, that just makes me like one of the demons. Only with more doubt. Because sometimes I doubt things that demons never do. Like the existence of demons, for example. <laughs> to say, I believe in Jesus, 
the way the Bible talks about it. The believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved kind of belief. Well, that means what you hope it means if somebody says they believe in you. I'm confident in Jesus. I am putting my hope in Jesus. I'm counting on Jesus. I'm laying it all on the line for Jesus. I'm placing all my trust and all my hope and all my future in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. That's what it means. Now, we've been studying together the last several weeks a book of the Bible, uh, Galatians. And in Galatians, I said we've, we said we sort of a shorthand all these terms that Christians use to talk about salvation. Um, in Galatians, the term that is used is, is being made right with God. It's a very important phrase. Being made right with God. That's very, actually, it's actually very helpful language uh, because sort of built into the phrase, it acknowledges something ain't right. Like things are not as they should be. Our sin, our evil, our, our, our failures, our shortcomings, and we all have them, they really matter. They create a real problem. It's not nothing. It's a thing. Something's not right. And Jesus, through his death and resurrection, offers the solution. And in Galatians chapter 2, it explains how that works. This is verse 16. Um, down a little bit into the verse, it says this. We have believed, there's that word, right? We have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God. Made right with God, that's the idea of salvation. Okay. We've believed in Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith. Because of our faith in Christ, not because we've obeyed the law, because none of us have. So now we have, this, we have a second really pivotal word now. We have belief and we have faith. Belief and faith. That's how you get saved. Belief and faith. The thing is, stay with me. Most people think of faith and belief as interchangeable. We, we think of them as synonyms. That's how it gets used in our language. I believe in something, I have faith in something. We use them. They're, they're totally interchangeable. And in our context, yes. In the Bible, no. They're different words. They're different words, and they mean different things. As you can see here, again, in the text, it, it says it's our belief that, that makes us look to Jesus for salvation in the first place, our, our hope, our trust, our confidence in him, we see Jesus as a valid source of rescue, of salvation, of deliverance. So we look to him because of our belief. But it's our faith. It's our faith that makes us right with God. And again, faith and belief, these are different concepts. But this is what makes it really hard for us, for us to get this. The real meaning of faith, what the Bible means when it says faith, is almost entirely lost in our context. We've just used it interchangeably with the word belief, and the distinctiveness about faith has sort of fallen away. So let me, I'm going to get nerdy for just one minute, all right? It's going to be quick. It's going to be okay. When you read the word faith in your Bible, that is a translation of the Greek word pistis, Okay? And the Latin version of that same word is fide, F-I-D-E, fide. That's where we get the word fidelity, fidelity, or 
faithfulness. Faithfulness. When you see the word faith in your Bible, you could plug in maybe the word allegiance, faithfulness, fidelity. So the problem is, when we've used the word faith as a synonym for belief, we've, we've actually robbed it of most of its power. Just think about this. If I, if I say I have faith in this stool, like in our, the way we talk, if I say I have faith in this stool, what I'm really saying is I believe in this stool. I am not afraid to sit on it because I have confidence that it can hold me. It is a capable stool. That's what I mean when I say I have faith in it. I do not mean at all that I will remain faithful to this stool. I'm not at all. I don't, I don't even care. I'm, I, I get around, man. I'll sit on any stool, <laughs> any stool that'll hold me. I don't, I'm not even shy about it. It's how we use it. But if you use it the way the Bible uses it, listen, you cannot separate faith and faithfulness. You can't. Not the way the Bible talks about it. Back, back to my wife, Sharon. If I said to her, Sharon, I have faith in you, but I do not intend to be faithful to you. <laughs> that would not go well. That wouldn't be good. That'd be bad. Again, the word is fide. This is where we get our word fidelity. Fidelity. Faithfulness. Allegiance. Fidelity. Fide. I'll tell you a quick story. This one's true. Um, a couple of years ago, somebody uh, sent us some money. It was a check, like a few hundred bucks, and we weren't expecting it at all. It was just like, oh, man, it was just a gift for no reason. It's like we, we wanted to give you a gift. It was awesome. And at the time, we had uh, some money in a savings account with Fidelity. And um, I said, Sharon, what should we do with this money? This is awesome. She goes, we should put it. And it's funny. She just said it wrong. But she said, we should put this in our infidelity account. <laughs> and I was like, No. We don't have one of those. No, no, no. That is not how this works at all. Why would you say that? Were you saving money for dates with someone who actually looks like Ryan Reynolds? Like, why do you have an infidelity account? To have faith in Jesus, then, listen, is not simply to state your belief in Jesus as a Savior who is capable of giving you eternal life, like I have faith in this stool being capable of holding me up. To have faith in Jesus is to promise that you will be faithful to him. It is pledging your allegiance to him as your Lord. It means you'll be faithful. Like married people are supposed to be faithful. There's a reason why the Bible uses lots of marriage language to talk about our relationship to the Lord. We're the bride of Christ. That's how you enter into a covenant with a spouse. You promise to be faithful. That's how you enter into a covenant with Jesus. That's how you're saved. You pledge to be faithful to Jesus. Now, some people hear that, and, 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 and they wonder, and it's a good question, so stick with me. Some people wonder, well, what does that mean, then, if I waver in my faithfulness because I'm not always awesome? And does that mean I'm no longer saved? That's a great question. The wonderful and true answer to that is no. It doesn't mean that at all, not even a little. That would mean being saved is actually about you being good, you following the rules, you obeying the law. So let me read you verse 16 again and what we just read. We've believed in Christ Jesus 
so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we've obeyed the law. He's like, no, no, it's not about that. It's not about how good you could be. It's not about putting together a spiritual win streak. God knows we're busted. And the standard isn't perfection. It isn't perfection. The standard is genuine commitment. If you are pursuing faithfulness to Jesus, then even as you stumble and fail and falter along the way, and you inevitably will because we all do, you've got nothing to worry about. The Bible makes it abundantly clear for that. There is grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. It's about faith, belief, genuine commitment. So really, it, it, all, it really does. It all goes back to Easter. To Jesus' death and his resurrection. Um, Jesus died. He came to life. In the process, remember, he conquered death. He's still conquering death. He's never returned to it. He conquered it and holds it under his thumb. So in the process, in conquering death, he's now able to offer us life. The way this works is we follow the same path. We die to ourselves and we enter into life. Um, In a sense, we are dying to anything but Jesus. We lay it all on the line for him. Once again, marriage is a good parallel. If you get married, you're pledging your faithfulness to your spouse and in some sense, you are dying to any other person in the world. It's all them. You've staked your claim on them. That's what it means to follow Jesus. You die to anything else. That's how it's written in our text. So back to Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says this. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Christ lives in me. I, my old self, the old way, that died. That died when, cru- when Christ was crucified. I entered into that same death. And now I am moving through the real life that he's given. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The resurrection life he gives to us. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God, trusting in Him, who loved me and gave Himself for me. That's the gospel. David, come on up. Guys, Jesus is King. He is risen. He loves you so much. Like more than you can ever fathom, He loves you so much. He died, hear me, he died to make a way for you to live. He went into death itself, conquered death so that he could offer you life. We're the ones who are dead in our sins. Death is our problem, not his. But he went and conquered our problem for us. And we accept the gift of eternal life that he offers, forgiveness, rescue, redemption, we accept it by offering our lives to him. Jesus, I'm yours. I pledge my allegiance to you. I will follow you in everything. Again, it's about belief and faith. Let's think about it. I believe in you, Jesus. Not just I believe you exist, or even that you are king, or even that you are the Messiah, or even that you rose from the grave. I believe you are the answer. I believe you are the hope. You are the, I'm laying it all on you because I believe in you. You're my answer. And now I'm putting my faith in you, which is to say, 
I pledge my faithfulness to you. I am fully yours. You have my total allegiance. You're saved by belief, by faith.